Hello and welcome to Talking to Leaders, the podcast where we extend the conversation around female entrepreneurship beyond the challenges and instead focus on positivity and the actions we can each take to drive change. I'm Katie Nagidinagi-Baxon, M&A partner at CMS. In today's episode, I'm talking to Anya Roy and Chantelle Bell, co-founders of Serona Health, about digital health technology, the launch of their new app, and the badge Femtech. Thank you for joining us today, Anya and Chantelle. Hi, thanks for having us. So let's start off with you telling us a little bit about Serona Health and how you founded the company. Sure. Hi, everyone. For those who are tuning in to listen, I'm Anya. I'm one of the co-founders of Serona Health. Um, To answer your question, I guess, you know, we founded uh, Serona based on our personal experiences, negative experiences in women's health. And this really triggered the the research and uh, the foundation of some of the work that we did with Serona Health and uh, zeroed into a few core areas around gynecological health that really troubled us uh, throughout our sort of teenage years and uh, going forward. And we wanted to effectively create a platform that helped um, women who were struggling with similar issues find a voice and find a platform that supported them throughout their entire journey. And Chantal, do you want to tell us your role at Serona Health? I'm Chantal, one of the co-founders of Serona. Uh, Anya and I both met during our studies. And uh, as she mentioned, you know, we kind of connected on, I guess, you know, our shared negative experiences when it came to our women's healthcare in the healthcare system as it is today. Uh, in terms of, I guess, what the company is and where we are at, you know, we have a focus on a chronic gynecological conditions and we're providing connected services uh, for those uh, with these types of conditions. And our first focus is within a a space called endometriosis. So uh, endometriosis is essentially where the lining of the uterus can grow in other parts of the body, such as as the legs or even the lungs. Uh, It's extremely painful. Uh, It takes on average 80 years to diagnose in the UK today. And the only way to diagnose uh, endometriosis is through what's called a laparoscopic surgery. And it affects one in 10 of reproductive age. That's absolutely frightening statistics there. Something that takes eight years to diagnose, but affects one in 10 women of reproductive age. Why is it that it takes such a long time to diagnose? And what is it that Serona Health is is doing to help with that diagnostic process? In terms of the diagnostic process, it really revolves around uh, laparoscopic surgery, which is an invasive keyhole surgery. And a lot of primary care physicians are are against providing this as a first-line diagnostic. So this is being carried on and dismissed by the healthcare system as period pain pretty often. And a key issue uh, when it comes to diagnosis of endometriosis, a lot of the times uh, we've spoken to patients where this condition has begun sort of very early in their teenage years and some of the voices are not heard because uh, period pain is considered normal. And we're really changing uh, the the rhetoric around this because this sort of excruciating pain where you imagine some of your pelvic organs are sticking together, it's affected your bowels, you have difficulty breathing if it's thoracic endometriosis, you have cramps in your legs. 
this shouldn't really be normal in any circumstance. Um, so we're really trying to galvanize um, a lot of patients and those with suspected endometriosis and bring them to the forefront of this conversation. So definitely in terms of diagnostics today, uh, the first line being laparoscopic surgery is one of the key problems. In terms of Serona's role in changing this diagnostic process, we provide a very comprehensive symptom tracking and monitoring system that provides insights. So what we provide is evidence that you can send to your doctor, which is which can be easily shared to then get the referral that you need for this first line exploration through a keyhole surgery. So that's where we're changing the clinical pathway. So on, on this podcast, we're really focusing on the positive because I'm, I'm a positive person, an eternal optimist, I think. But also, I think some of the rhetoric around female entrepreneurship has always been on the negative and on the challenges. And we want to at Lead Hers focus on the positive. So tell us what you're feeling positive about at the moment. Well, I think we're feeling quite positive that we've now launched the app just recently in the UK and we've had some really amazing feedback you know people have been leaving us voice notes and and reviews and telling us you know how much this has been needed so it, it's been great to kind of have that that positive push from you know the the people that need it most looking forward you know uh, I think we're feeling positive about you know expanding into new markets uh, and really kind of allowing access to the app for all and also re releasing a few new features as well and one more sort of positive aspect in the industry is that um, you know women's health reproductive gyne gynecological health is being taken seriously it's being considered mainstream a lot of investors are showing interest in the space and we're getting a lot of inbound interest which has been great uh, i think commercially as well we're seeing a lot of uptake in terms of looking at pharma conversations conversations with corporate uh, benefits so it's very very um uh, positive overall so let's do a little bit of a plug for the app how do we find the app? What's it called? You know, how easy is it to, to access the service that you're providing? The app is called Sora. So if you type in Sora, S-O-R-A, on the App Store or the Google Play Store, you should be able to, to download it. It's very easy just to sign up. And what we do ask for is uh, for those who are willing to kind of help collaborate for research, they're able to do so in the app. And we're quite upfront about, you know, what we use the data for and who we use it with. And we don't pass it on to any kind of third parties. So uh, that's kind of very, very much core to what we do is we like to kind of be open and transparent about uh, how we use the data. And essentially what we do is we uh, take the data and we do translate it into actionable insights for all users. So any, any data points inputted from symptoms or lifestyle, including mood, food, sleep or exercise can be translated into, into insights to help the user really better understand their healthcare. So that's interesting. It's sort of got a, a dual purpose in that you can use it to track your own symptoms to go and talk to your health care provider. But you're also by contributing that data, hopefully, you know, pushing forward the understanding and the, and the research um, that goes towards the condition. Correct. So, Anya, can you tell me how Serona Health has, has evolved since you started the business? You know, have you always had a focus on endometriosis and where do you see the business going? 
Yeah, so I guess, you know, in terms of the core focus of um, Serona Health has always been around gynecological health, and that stayed uh, the, the same. I think what's evolved is the method or the model that we're using. We initially wanted to uh, be a a diagnostic company, but that's evolved. Uh, we've seen some of the challenges in the regulatory space, taking that on board, and now we're looking at software as a medical device, and we see a lot of opportunity within the space. Um, endometriosis was always one of our core focuses, um, but it, we were also surrounded by a lot of uh, distractions in other women's health areas, I could say, um, but having fine-tuned our proposition to chronic gynae health conditions has really helped us make um, a lot of leaps in terms of research and development or and also commercial traction. Uh, endometriosis, in our minds, is still a wide space, and we think this requires a lot of innovation, uh, hugely underinvested in, in and unexplored. So I think we're, we're going to be one of the few key players in the market pushing for that change. We view sort of competition in the in the space in and in general women's health a good sign because uh, we lift each other up by virtue of numbers and and ensuring that investing investors are plugged in to what we're doing and I think the the evolution of the company has been very organic um, so we still have a huge R and D pipeline. There's still um, a diagnostic element that we're looking into, uh, but just the, the, the product roadmap changed along the way from speaking to consumers and patients and gynecologists and also researchers. So it's a collaboration on all fronts. And Danya, that, that move into more of a, a digital health focus than a physical health focus in terms of the, the, the testing and moving more towards digital, is that something that was happening anyway as part of the evolution of the business? Or do you think that's something that was accelerated by the, the COVID pandemic and the general acceleration that that has made in, in terms of digitization? I think the digital health component was always there, but I think what COVID's done for us is helped us in making it mainstream because some of the earlier concerns, uh, whether it is from patients or physicians or even investors have been, is digital health going to be mainstream? I think COVID has answered that question and fast-tracked the process. Um, so we're answering a different question now, and which is more around what sort of traction can you get and how, how interested are users in, in the product that you're building or the service that you're providing. And I think COVID's generally helped the entire digital health industry in general. It's not here to replace it. And I think digital health will always be complementary to public health care. Uh, but I think we'll have a very pivotal role to play going forward in, in healthcare in general. And Chantel, I think the pandemic has really accelerated a focus on, on mental health and the importance of looking after one's mental health. On your blog and your website, you make a really strong link between physical and mental health. Why is that? when we speak to users, you know, they're dealing with this every day and the long diagnosis times, they're not being heard when they're going to their GPs. It takes on average uh, six or seven uh, different physician visits to actually get to a stage 
before getting a diagnosis. So there's a big, big mental health aspect there. And looking at some of the facts from the all-party parliamentary group, the APPG, uh, has a focus on endometriosis. And they did a survey with with over 10,000 people and 90% of of those uh, interviewed said that they would love to have some kind of mental health support, but were not offered it. So for us, it was important whilst building out our services to really include mental health as a core aspect of what we do. So anyone that uses our app or even going onto our website, you're able to book uh, an appointment with a CBT uh, specialist who has expertise within this area of, of chronic pain. And physical pain can really have a big effect on, on mental health. So you know, tying that all in together, in our solution was was very much at the forefront of creating Sora. And do you think that that link between um, mental health and, and physical pain is increased by the fact that there is still some stigma around women's health issues, conversations around something that is so chronic and endemic and yet actually not really talked about? Do you think there's still a stigma there? Yes, absolutely. There, there is still a stigma there. And, you know, recent figures from the Endometriosis UK charity have shown that, especially among the younger group of about 16 to 24, you know, about 65% of them are feeling comfortable going to their GP with their symptoms. So it's it's about kind of creating um, some sense of of trust and being able to empower those with these these symptoms to really kind of go forward and and speak to a physician about about what they're experiencing and feel comfortable doing so so I think that's exactly kind of what we try to do is kind of create a, a symptom log so that they feel confident kind of going into uh, any any meetings or any any talks with GPS uh, and they know exactly kind of what they're experiencing and, and at what level we know that investors and the VC market like to to give labels to um, the various technology companies that, that have been coming through. We've got EdTech, we've got FinTech, and obviously in relation to women's health, we've got the, the lovely term FemTech. You've been badged as a, as a FemTech business and quite often in, in articles that talk about FemTech, you know, there's a, there's a reference to Serona Health as, as one of the companies at the forefront. Has that badge, uh, that FemTech badge helped you or, or has it hindered you? How do you feel about it? You know, it's interesting you ask this question. We're personally not big fans of the word femtech because uh, trying to be an inclusive company, it really does take away a few people um, who, you know, may be part of the trans non-binary community that we're not involving in the conversation. So we're not big fans of the of the term femtech. However, I guess it has had a silver lining because it's allowed investors to think about technologies appropriate to gynecological health um, as as mainstream investments. So in that sense, I, I, I suppose that term has helped, but personally, we're, we brand ourselves as a healthcare technology firm. And I think I think that's very interesting. When I was looking at your website this week, you know, you've got really front and centre that you are there for all individuals who are experiencing reproductive issues. You know, as you say, whether you are trans, non-binary, identify as a woman, and it's really nice to see that messaging, you know, really clear because I'm sure in some circles that gets forgotten. Absolutely, and we've seen that time and again uh, because this whole company was to really take out marginalization from healthcare 
ensure um, people of color uh, got their voices heard, were taken seriously by their doctors, ensured that the trans and non-binary community felt like this was a safe place for them to interact with the healthcare system too. So it was really important for us to put together a strong narrative and messaging to ensure that we were including groups that are traditionally forgotten when it comes to mainstream healthcare. Annie, you, you've, you've talked a little bit or touched a little bit on investors and how investors are, are reacting to um, digital health. Um, we work together. You're one of my equipped clients. Um, and I know that you are at the moment looking at raising your Series A. Um, how have you found that fundraising experience? And, you know, can you talk us through some of the, the sort of routes that you have used to raise funds? Because I think as a digital health business, you have some different challenges to some of our other equipped clients who maybe have, you know, are doing something that's enterprise software um, and, and not so science based. Yeah, uh, I think you, you definitely hit the nail right in the head. Being digital health has the challenges and opportunities of being in healthcare and technology. Healthcare, as you know, traditionally moves a bit slower, is fairly regulated and a difficult industry um, to gain quick traction in. Uh, whereas technology on the other front is all about breaking systems, disrupting it and creating new sort of parts and, and creating convenience and access. So, you know, what we're trying to do is uh, merge those two worlds together and we, we can definitely see lots of challenges, challenges on that forefront. And I think a lot of investors identify um, uh, these challenges when it comes to regulatory pathways and also uh, potentially evidence-based therapeutic, digital therapeutics. Um, so I think, you know, in terms of opportunities, it, we also kind of look at how how amazing it is when it looks at access to care and breaking down these uh, barriers, which might be location specific. And I think, you know, that investors do kind of see this as a hotspot for investment today. And I think, as you said, COVID has definitely fast-tracked that. Uh, but I take it with a pinch of salt because it's really important for us as a company to ensure that we create patient-based outcomes, you know, quality of life improvements, and uh, keep true to the regulatory requirements that this industry needs and requires. And uh, I think we've built the product in, in that particular manner. Uh, of course, it's taken us a bit longer. And um, but the but the bar is very high in digital health, um, as we sit today. So I think some of the early wins are now, um, you know, now now I think there are lots of investors looking for uh, higher sort of like barriers to entry. So certainly in the investment space, we're seeing a lot of positive signs, but I think what um, companies are are now being forced to do is look at the regulatory pathways, look at uh, how they can build commercial traction and, and look at the competitive landscape and really have a uh, think about what their USP is. And Chantal, how have you found, you know, selling the story of Serona Health to um, investors uh, who I'm sure in most cases are um, mostly male 
um, and perhaps don't have the background awareness of the conditions? Have they been easier than you've expected or, or harder? Yes. So I, I think when we first kind of started on our journey with, with Serona, you know, we did find it a little bit difficult at, at the start. And this is going back a few years now. So I do think times have changed and, you know, quite a few uh, femtech companies have really kind of made some big traction uh, within this space. So it's become one of these areas which has kind of gained a lot of respect from from investors as time has kind of moved, moved along. Uh, I, I'd say, you know, when communicating the story, uh, yes, it, it is sometimes hard to kind of get it across. But what we tend to do is say that endometriosis affects the same number of people as diabetes. And we do kind of highlight this fact for a reason, because everybody knows what diabetes is. And everyone knows probably someone with diabetes. So it really kind of hammers home, um, you know, how big this issue is. And then we go on to say, you know, for every $200 that goes into diabetes research, endometriosis receives one. So again, you know, kind of highlighting that that big healthcare gap there. And so far, I think that kind of technique has, has kind of helped us um, and helps people really understand that this is a this is a major problem, and you know there isn't much in this space, so um, they kind of take more more attention of what we're doing at that point. I'd say. And are you seeing more investors um, having a specific digital health focus? You know, with a with a desire to invest in this area than perhaps you've seen in the past. Yeah, absolutely. We've seen investors come into the space who weren't even investing in healthcare before, um, and and they're moving into digital health. And we we've definitely seen an uptick in uh, inbound interest from investors. Um, but you know, I think the appetite is here to stay. I think COVID has proved that you need to have a healthcare system that can be very malleable, can serve a, a huge community, and whilst doing it well. Um, so I think it's the interest is here to stay. I think right now uh, it will just be a race of winners and and losers in the digital health space. And I think, um, it, especially within the gynecological health space, I think, you know, it's really exciting to see so many new companies coming into play in so many different areas of uh, women's health or reproductive health or gynae health, whatever you might like to call it. And it's it's really an exciting time. At Leaders, we talk quite a bit about the Rose Review, which was undertaken a couple of years ago, and how that really has brought to the fore some of the, the challenges and identified the challenges that female entrepreneurs um, have in, in the UK. One of the things that it identified was that access to sponsors, mentors and professional support networks um, can be a barrier to that entrepreneurial journey for women. Have you found it difficult to access mentors or, or networks or, or do you have a very strong support system? I think, you know, from our perspective, we've been so incredibly lucky to connect with some amazing entrepreneurs, uh, amazing um, senior officials at pharmaceutical companies. We've had uh, a lot of again, inbound interest for support, which we really appreciate. And I think I just want to give a shout out. Um, Serona really wouldn't have come together uh, unless one of our uh, sort of mentors, when we discussed the initial concept and research idea, 
uh, he was from um, uh, GlaxoSmithKline and he really gave us the push to go on and do it because he thought it was a wonderful idea. Um, so, you know, we're incredibly lucky to be connected to an ecosystem in the UK where life sciences is really um, buzzing. There's a lot of activity. Uh, we've seen some amazing uh, role models, female role models. So uh, our scientific advisory board consists of like the global medical director of Estella's Pharmaceutical. So um, she was really excited to support our journey. So I would say we've been lucky in that regard. Uh, I know the experience is not the same for everyone, um, but I think we've just got incredibly lucky having met some people who've really opened quite a few doors for us. There's, a, there, there's an awful lot of support that can be gained from people who are also going through the, the same journey as you. And I think that's something at Equip we have a, a particular focus on is, is um, enabling um, the founders on our programme to meet each other and to kind of share the insights and, and some of the pain, but also some of the learnings that they have. Are there any particular sort of female networks that you have accessed and that you think are, are good? I would say kind of going more more general, you know, we kind of have been a part of a few um, accelerators and this has kind of really helped us connect with uh, various founders and, you know, we, we experience similar challenges. Some of us are further ahead than others. So, you know, it's about kind of giving and sharing advice. And I think that's something we, we have found very, very valuable ourselves. But I think, you know, aside from that, you know, there are a few, um, I guess, uh, female uh, focused uh, either journals or groups which which kind of highlight some of the the amazing work that people are doing within within this space and for us you know we do reach out to people directly if we see something very interesting one of those journals is kind of the femtech insider um journal which has um, really highlighted some of the great work that uh, i guess women have been doing with their businesses in this space and recently we were featured and you know people have reached out to us and we've re reached out to people just kind of looking at um you know their journey so far and seeing comparisons i do think that having this network or having mentors is an important part of the entrepreneurial journey as you know we don't know everything and it's important to kind of bounce ideas of others who've kind of gone through it before so I would say you know don't be shy to to reach out to those who you think could potentially help you because nine times out of ten they're willing to chat. I think it's lovely when I talk to um to, to female founders everyone that I speak to you know makes that comment feel free to reach out. It's lovely how I think, you you know, so many of you put yourselves out there because you see the benefit um, and you've obviously experienced that that benefit yourselves. Thank you very much for, for offering that, uh, Chantal. I think that that, that is, uh, it's, it's, it's lovely. And I think that's what's great about, you know, entrepreneurs. Um, I think you, you guys are really good at, at appreciating that, you know, just having that ability to talk to somebody else who's been through it um, can be so beneficial. And Katie, maybe to highlight, you know, it's amazing some of the work that uh, CMS uh, have done with the Equip program, helping support some of these conversations, uh, giving us uh, timely help, connecting us with the larger ecosystem and various stakeholders that we wouldn't necessarily get access to. So um, really, really appreciate it. So as part of our um lead hers initiative we're encouraging everyone to commit to one positive action whether that's big or small that will support female founders so i'm going to ask each of you to tell me what is 
a positive action you're going to take on to support female founders in your industry? Anya, can I start with you? Sure. I'm really passionate about um, women in STEM in general. And so I would love to um, host conversations and panels with upcoming sort of entrepreneurs, investors, um, scientists, you know, mathematicians, etc., who are looking to build their companies in the future. So uh, I'm, I'm open to really uh, having conversations with them. Um, and I think I see this on a regular basis from some of the LinkedIn messages that I get. Uh, they are so impressive. My LinkedIn messages are open. Feel free to reach out. I'm, I'm keen to talk to entrepreneurs in STEM. From my side to echo kind of what, what Anya said, I, I think it's about kind of sharing, you know, our experiences and our journey so far. And I think that's something we can definitely do more of this year because um, it's important to kind of share both the good, the bad and the ugly. And just to let people know that entrepreneurship can be a really kind of exciting uh, journey to go on. And yes, there may be some barriers uh, there as a female founder, but you know, there are definitely ways to kind of overcome come these barriers. And I think, you know, kind of sharing these highlights can be quite valuable. So I, I think this year, that's probably what I'm going to focus on. Well, that's all we've got time for today. So that just leaves me to say thank you so much, Anya and Chantel from Serona Health for joining me. It's really great to be able to talk to you um, about your business and in particular to amplify um, the uh, conversation on digital health and in particular um, reproductive health. So thank you very much. For more information on Serona Health, go to seronahealth.com or look in the app store for the new endometriosis app Sora. And you can find more information on CMS Equip in the startup section of cms.law. 